All right, we're going to get started. Now, please join me in prayer. Our gracious God, you are good and kind, and we thank you for the privilege of gathering together to look into your word, to study together, and to hopes to grow together uh, in our mutual faith and our mutual love for you. We ask this morning that you would open your word to us and open us to your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you don't have a handout yet, they're on that side table right by the side doors. Uh, we're going to look at questions 114, 115 of the Heidelberg Catechism today. And uh, I would like to recite these together as we begin. And so if you don't have a handout, you'll want one because the questions are at the top. Unless, of course, you haven't memorized, in which case you're already prepared. So, The Heidelberg Catechism isn't uh, one of our, official, our denomination's official uh, doctrinal statements, but uh, it is fully in accord with ours, and we love it and appreciate it, and so we're having fun going through it as it uh, brings to us uh, in such beautiful fashion uh, the word of the teaching of scriptures. And so let's look at questions 114 and 115. I'll read the bolded question, and if everyone can respond uh, with the answer. Can those who are converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No, but even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of such obedience, yet so that with earnest purpose they begin to live not only according to some, but according to all the commandments of God. Why then does God so strictly enjoin the Ten Commandments upon us, since in this life no one can keep them? First, that as long as we live, we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and so the more earnestly seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, that without ceasing, we diligently ask God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, so that we may be renewed more and more after the image of God until we attain the goal of perfection after this life. All right, good. Well, that's what we're looking at today. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? That's what we're wrestling with. Now, um, you all know what a curfew is? Anybody not know what a curfew is? Were you fixing your glasses, Jeff, or, or raising your hand? Okay, because I'm willing, okay, curfew, for those who don't know, you know. <laughs> yes, okay, so what's a curfew? It's when your mom says you have to go to bed So it's cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, okay, okay. We, we can do some counseling afterwards. Uh, <laughs> no, clearly, no, no bitterness there. I know, yeah, okay. Remind me to give your mom a hug next time I see her. Uh, so yeah, curfew, it's usually when your kids have to be home, right? So let's have a hypothetical situation. Uh, Billy wants to go out with his friends. His parents, in my estimation, extremely generously say, you may go out, but you need to be home at 11 o'clock. Wow, that's late, I know. But let's just say because it's hypothetical and not reality. Billy loses track of time. It's 10.55. He realizes he has five minutes to get home, but he's 20 minutes from home. 
No possible way. So he calls mom and dad. He says, I totally lost track of time. What time do you want me to be home? Mom and dad say, okay, dad says. <laughs> what does dad say? 11 o'clock. Right? It says 11 o'clock. There's no way he can make it. It's impossible. Now, this is a common enough situation, maybe too familiar, but it relates to what we're looking at today. We're looking at the question of why God gave, uh, gives us the Ten Commandments. We're continuing our study of the Heidelberg Catechism, and we're almost done. Uh, we're finishing up our discussion uh, of the Ten Commandments. We looked at the Tenth Commandment last week, and, and now there's a more general question. Uh, all that's left after, after this is to go through the Lord's Prayer and talk about prayer, and, that, and then we'll be done with the Heidelberg Catechism. But before we do that, we do want to wrestle with this question. Okay, why? Why do we have the Ten Commandments? It's one thing to ask what they teach us, what they require. It's another thing to say, why did God give them to us? And that's what we want to look at today. And my, my hope as we look at this is to say that the Ten Commandments exist not only, uh, I'm sorry, they, they exist not to give us life, but to lead us away from ourselves to Jesus and to guide out and bless our lives in following them. So it's to lead us away from ourselves, to lead us to Jesus, and then to guide and to bless our lives uh, as we follow them. And that's really what we want to wrestle uh, with today. So the question asked in the first um, uh, uh, of our two uh, today, 114, is this. Can we keep the Ten Commandments perfectly? What do you think is going on here? What, what's it wrestling with? Okay, righteousness by works. Good. How so? Okay, so part of the question is, are these given to us so that we can earn God's reward and his blessing through them? Okay, good. That's part of it. Okay, what else? Okay, it's setting up a standard in what sense? Okay, so what does God expect from us? Okay, well, that's the answer, but that, it's wrestling with that question, right? Uh, good, good. Uh, does God expect per- perfect obedience or just a good, honest effort? Now, now we know the answer, don't we? What, what does the Bible tell us God's standard is? Perfection. Where, where does he tell us that? Okay, be holy for I am holy. Or even, you know, Peter, Peter quotes that, right? But do you remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5? What? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Good. Those are two great passages. Okay, where else? Okay, good. Good, good passage. Genesis, uh, what, 17? Yeah, okay. Excellent. Where else? James 2.10? For whoever keeps the law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. Good, good. Uh, 
<laughs> it's a hopeless task. It is a hopeless task, right? Well, what, uh, one more, uh, my membership class from Wednesday, we, we, we looked at uh, Galatians 3, quoting Deuteronomy 27, where, where Paul says, anyone who wants to be righteous by the law has to keep the whole thing. For God has said, uh, cursed is anyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. All the things, not some, not most. Uh, yeah, there's no question that God requires perfection. But that just sort of stirs the pot, right? Because out of that reality flows a whole host of other questions. Can we perfectly obey? And what happens when we don't? If we don't. All right, so... (laughs) uh, Bear with me on this next question. Who knows who Immanuel Kant is? Oh, good. Neo, who's Immanuel Kant? Good, philosopher. Current? Okay. When, uh, when, when was he known for writing? Era. Time or era. You can give me a time or a period. Huh? 17th century. The Enlightenment, right? Uh, and, and he was very influential. And a lot of the things that society still thinks just as sort of conventional wisdom really come out of uh, Kant's writing. Uh, one of his most famous assertions was, God is only uh, morally allowed to command something that we are capable of doing. So God can't tell us to do anything if we're not capable of doing it. <laughs> it, yes, it does. Yeah, absolutely. It does sound like Pelagius, who, who preceded Kant by uh, quite a while. Now, you don't need to know who, who Kant is. don't need to worry. But you, maybe you've heard that sort of statement. You know? uh, it, it, it's often said, you know, the, the ought implies the can, or the should means you can. If, if God says you should do this, you must be able to do that. Now, now there's a kernel of truth in that. Um, would it have been fair for God to tell Adam and Eve to obey if he, if he did not make them capable of it? Hmm? Uh, not, I don't think so. Before the fall. Yeah, yeah. That's in creation. I don't think it would be fair for God to say, I'm expecting something of you that I've not given you the capability of doing. Um, did God give Adam and Eve the ability to obey him in the garden? Absolutely. Uh, we were made, man was made upright, but he pursued many, uh, well, how does Ecclesiastes put it? I should preach through Ecclesiastes. I might remember what it says better. Uh, again, uh, but he sought after many uh, devices, many schemes, many plots. Um, it was in Adam and Eve's Rebellion and our rebellion in Adam and Eve that, they, that we lost the ability to obey. Um, we're a bit like Billy in our example from the beginning. Yes, there's no way Billy can be home by 11 o'clock. It's not possible. But whose fault is that? Billy's. Does his failure mean his parents have to change the rules? No. 
uh, because he was foolish, because he failed, doesn't mean the rules have to change to match his failure. Right? If we can't obey God's law, that's our fault. That doesn't mean God has to change the rules. Um, and so here's the more important question. Is God required to change his expectations because of our sin? Does he have to change what he requires of us because we've sinned? No, of course not. That's ridiculous. No one who has the slightest understanding of the law of justice knows that a criminal's crime does not mean the law should change. Right? Um, well, I stole that. What am I supposed to do now? You need to change the law so that stealing is no longer wrong. You know? well, no, you, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of that. And so... Our catechism acknowledges that even um, when you become a Christian, you never reach the point where you have perfect obedience in this life. Now, there are some Christians uh, who who believe uh, in what we call perfectionism. Who knows what that is? Charlie. Yeah, it's getting to the point where you no longer sin in this life before heaven, right? Now, there's some people who think as soon as you become a Christian, you cease to sin. You stop sinning. And there are some people who think uh, that certain Christians get to that point uh, where they stop, uh, right? Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ask the people who know them. So. I know what you think. Well, let me ask the people who know you. Uh, yeah. Do, what do you think? Is it possible to reach a point in this life where you no longer sin? <laughs> Gary says no way. It's no second. Do I hear a third? All those in favor say aye. Okay. Uh, yeah, First John one eight says... If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Think about what Paul says in Philippians 3. Brian, what does he say? Philippians 3. I guess if I can't quote Ecclesiastes, maybe he shouldn't have to quote Philippians. That's right. Okay. Paul says, uh, not that, he says, he reaches for the goal. He strives for perfection. He says, not that I've already reached it or obtain this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. He says, I haven't reached that. That's what I want. That's what I press towards, but not yet. And that makes complete sense because how did he open the, the, the epistle to the Philippians? He says, uh, we are confident that God will carry on to completion what he began in us when? At the day of Christ Jesus. When Christ returns, that's when we'll be made perfect. Until then, not so much. Now, if Paul can't do it, do you think you can? No. And so that's why question 114 says, even the holiest men while in this life have only a small beginning of of such obedience. Even the best among us, even the Pauls and the Peters, 
aren't perfect in this life. Um, and certainly, not us. <laughs> I like that. The best of men are but men at best. That's good. Absolutely. But small doesn't mean unimportant. Small obedience, small measure of growth doesn't mean it's unimportant. Um, Why is it important that we have some start of obedience, some change in our lives? Why is that important? that we don't have no change in our lives. Okay, what does that mean? Sanctification is united with justification. What does that mean? That's the evidence that you're being converted. Good. Okay, right, because Romans 8.28, all those whom he justifies, he sanctifies, right? That he transforms, okay? Good, good. If there's no change, there's no life. Where are you? You you seem to be thinking about a certain passage. Faith without works is dead. It's not living faith. If there's life, there's a change. James 2. Absolutely. Good. Don't tell me no. Gary. Any other passages? Triple trouble, oh, real quick. Triple trouble, profession, we talked. What does the third commandment say? Did, did Mary just abandon you too? Okay, what does the third commandment say? You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And what does that mean? How do we take God's name? Oh, we just talked about this on Friday, girls. That you're being put on the spot, I know. What does it mean to take God's name? How do we take God's name? It, it can. It can push that far. But even in its most basic sense, when did Emily take your name? When you entered into marriage. She became Emily Protzman. She took your name to herself, right? When we are, are married to Christ in salvation, we take his name to ourselves. And God says, that better mean something. It better change you. It shouldn't be empty. You shouldn't take it to you and have no changed life. God says that's vanity. That's emptiness. When we belong to him, when we take his name upon us, it should matter. Yeah. Right. So I didn't change my behavior. I took off the bumper stickers. Yeah. No, I changed my behavior. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you're convicted that, that you're, you're, you're representing his name poorly. Absolutely. God says, when you take my name, it should mean something. It should matter. It should change you. Good. Um, uh, think about other passages. Jesus says, how do you know a tree, whether it's good or bad? By the fruit it produces. Uh, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. It's, it's saying, it, if you have been 
purchased by God. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you can't not produce good fruit. And so if you're not producing good fruit, changed life, some evidence, what that's telling us is there's, there's no life in you. There's no spirit dwelling within you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, John 15. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, remember what Jesus says in John 13. How will people know we belong to Jesus? That we love one another, that there's, there's, there's love in our hearts. And, and so the Bible makes it very, very clear that some change in your life is absolutely necessary. Very important. Um, this, is, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, that the church has to judge. We have to judge whether somebody is truly a believer or not by the fruit in their lives. Um, that there's, there has to be some the evidence of a love for God in their life. Um, and so it might not be complete perfection. It might not be huge. But there has to be some. It's extremely important because without that, what, what, what the Bible tells us is that we don't have the Spirit of God. We don't have life. We have not been saved. So small, small obedience doesn't mean unimportant. It's very important. But why do you think it's small and not uh, complete or at least big in this life? Why doesn't God just make us stop sinning when we come to him? Wouldn't that be nice? I, I mean, I would vote for that. Um, so why does God not do that? Ironic, yeah. Uh, yeah, we could just say, well, that's not how God works. He likes the process. He, he likes growth. God's into things starting as seeds and growing into fullness, and that's true. But I, I think you're right that there's, there's an aspect there that, that quick growth is often um, more damaging than it is helpful. Uh, what happens when somebody becomes rich quickly? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've never heard stories, rumors, witnessed from at least from afar. What tends to happen? Yeah. Yeah, it tends to ruin their lives, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, they become arrogant. They become entitled. Um, I think I think uh, Rex is right that slow growth in obedience breeds a sort of humility. It it's where we learn how weak we are, how needy we are, how much we need God's grace. Um, and we realize just how precious a gift obedience is. Um, people who have wealth don't tend to recognize the, the, the gift it is. People who work hard 
um, and, and save up over time, you know, tend to realize that, you know, yeah, I need I need to be more grateful and take care of this, right? Um, who who's more likely to total a car because of carelessness? The one, the kid who's given the car for their sixteenth birthday, or the kid who has to work a job, save up, and has a lot of skin in the game? Yeah, the, the one who's given the car, yeah, easy come, I can just get another one. The other one's like, this is, you know, I need to take care of this. Um, I, I think one of the reasons the Lord allows us to grow slowly. It's because we realize through that just how precious obedience is, how hard it is, um, that, it's, that it's a sweet gift, and, and, and how needy we are, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Charlie and then and Jeff. Yeah. Sounds like Jeremiah 11 and 12. We should look at that this morning. You know what? Tell you, why don't we finish Sunday school and then we'll delve into Jeremiah 11 and 12 because that sounds a lot like what Jeremiah 11 and 12 are about. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Uh, Jeff, did you have... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it drives us back and back, back to the work of God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's there's a beauty in, in talking to people who have been walking with the Lord for decades, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, young, young believers often kind of think that they've got this. You know, I'm doing pretty well. Old believers are like, you know what? Every day is a gift. I'm just trying to get through. I need the Lord. I, I, I think there's something that just takes a long time to learn. Um, uh, Kloss and Wilma Verhoof, uh, for those who have been here longer, you just kind of help us see that in them. Um, just, just a gentleness and a humility that just took decades to get to precisely because of the struggle with sin. Not because of their victory over it, but because of their struggle with it. Um, that's a 
that in and of itself is a beautiful gift. Um, that there's just no shortcut. Um, so I think it's one thing to talk about the purpose of growth being slow, why God has our, our growth being slow, but, but it's also good to ask, okay, why give us the Ten Commandments if we can't obey them perfectly? Um, if we can't follow them perfectly, even as Christians, if that's not the point that, or the reason God gives them, what is? And that's what question 115 is about. And it, and it was two or, or three, depending on how you divide it, reasons. And I, I might just add a couple as well. Um, the first thing that the Catechism says, uh, the reason why God gives us the Ten Commandments, if it's not to earn heaven, if it's not um, because we can obey them perfectly, it says this, in order that we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. This is what Romans 7 says. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And Paul says, I want to know what it was to covet if the law said, do not covet. Um, The law shows us our sinfulness, our corruption. It teaches us what sin is and helps us to identify it in our lives. Why? Why is that important? Is God just like, so he can just laugh at us? Ha ha, sinner. No, why does God point out the sin in our lives? Okay. And we do anyway. Our sinful nature does anyway. And it's the way God just kind of bats us down and says, without me, you can do nothing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, So are you saying that uh, he shows us our sin in order to humble us? Yeah. Yeah. Why did... uh, Yeah, Jeff. Good. I'm going to come back to that one, so hold on, to, because that's absolutely true. That's great. Um, but the first one, so why does a doctor tell you mean things, like you're sick? You'll have cancer. You have uh, a heart condition. Why do doctors just ruin people's days left and right? Because, let's face it, they do. Why? Why do they just always share bad news? So that you can get help. If you don't know you're sick, you don't seek a cure. God telling us we have sin is so we might seek a remedy for it. Right? Psalm 32. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. I acknowledged my sin and you, and I, to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When, when I ignore my sin, I'm in trouble, and I'm wasting away, but when I acknowledge it, I find forgiveness. In fact, that's what First John... You know, we already read First John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What's the very next verse? First John 1.9. Yeah. But if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God shows us our sins so that we might seek the cure of forgiveness. Yes? We have to remember this in our gospel presentations, as Galatians 
Right, exactly. And so uh, to use the, um, in, in your bridging now, so this is a good point. So on one hand, we could say, to use the Heidelberg Catechism's language, right, one of the benefits of the Ten Commandments is it shows us our guilt, right? What, thing, what three things must we know to, to, to be blessed and enjoy God forever? Guilt, grace, and gratitude. The guilt of our sin, the grace of the gospel, and how we might show gratitude, right? The Ten Commandments help us understand our guilt, our need for grace. But not just to leave us there, but to drive us to grace, to, to Jesus. And that leads us to the second use. It helps us to look to Jesus for forgiveness and his obedience on our behalf. So the Heidelberg Catechism goes on and says that the Ten Commandments are there so that we might learn to more earnestly seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. You see, knowing that you're sick is only half the battle. You need to know where to look for help, where to look for healing. And the Ten Commandments paint a picture for us of the perfect person, the perfect Redeemer. They teach us what to look for. They show us what we're not, but what we need. And so we find perfection in only one person alone, and who is that? Jesus, absolutely. Think about Hebrews 4.15, right? Uh, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who was in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin. Or 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who had no sin in order that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Um, Jesus had no sin, but he took our sin in order, in order to bear its consequences, its penalties, in order that we might not have to grant us forgiveness. But it doesn't just stop there. It says in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus in exchange for our sin. Like he says, give me your sin. Here I, we're like, okay, well, what do we get out of this? And he says, well, how about in exchange for your sin, I give you my perfect obedience. So the, the great exchange, right? So that you can be rewarded as if you had lived a perfect life. Man. That's good. The Ten Commandments show us who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In this sense, to use the language of the Heidelberg Catechism, in this sense, the Ten Commandments also teach us about God's grace. Not in in the sense that they actually offer grace like in that sense, but they teach us about the perfect person who does offer us grace. They teach us about Jesus who kept those commandments perfectly since we can't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They they teach us who God is. Mm -hmm. The next thing the Heidelberg Catechism tells us is that the Ten Commandments uh, lead us to diligently ask God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may be renewed more and more after the image of God until we attain the goal of perfection after this life. Seeing that perfect goal shows us just how far we have to go. And it's then we understand our need for help. Um, And so the Ten Commandments should actually help your prayer life. 
because they show you just how far you have to go until you reach the goal. One of the reasons uh, not listed in the Heidelberg Catechism but implied is uh, made explicit in the Westminster uh, Larger Catechism. It says this, Although Christians are delivered from the moral law or the Ten Commandments as a covenant of works so as to be saved by them, justified or condemned, he says it's, or it says it's useful to show them how much they are bound to Christ for the fulfilling of it, we just saw that, and enduring the curse thereof in our stead. But then it says this, and thereby to provoke them to more thankfulness and to express that thankfulness in obedience to them. The Ten Commandments show us what's good and right and pleasing to God. Um, our obedience can't save us. But obedience is still, is the only reason we obey God because of what we think we can get out of it? Um, Is the only reason husbands and wives serve each other because they think they can get something out of it? Or just because they delight in doing it for someone they love? Um, If we love God, God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Because we want to please him. Not because we think we're, we're, we're obligating him to give us something, but just because we delight in doing what he likes. Um, so in gratefulness and love, we obey. To use the language of the, uh, of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Ten Commandments have shown us our guilt. They've shown us, in a sense, where we find grace in Jesus. But they also show us what? gratitude. And that's actually why the Ten Commandments in the Heidelberg Catechism are dealt with under the section of gratitude. What do we do in gratefulness for our salvation? How do do we show our thankfulness? And one of the ways is do things that God likes. Do things that please Him. Not with any sense of you're earning it, but just because you delight in doing what He likes. Um. I'd like to add one final reason for the Ten Commandments. And that's this. They lead to blessing. Now, that might sound a little bit contradictory. (laughs) Wait a second. We've been delivered from it as as this covenant works, as this way to earn things. And, And absolutely, that's right. I don't mean that they lead to blessing in the sense that you earn something either in this life or the next. But I think we've all met people who continually make bad decisions and then always wonder why life is so hard. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you hear people who spend all their money foolishly and then wonder why they get evicted from their apartment. Right? Um, Well, you have a big screen TV. You've got a four-by truck and you have no money left to pay your rent, and now you're wondering why your landlord gets all prickly, right? Or, or somebody uh, never shows up to work on time, or rarely, and then they wonder why they got fired, and what are they supposed to do now? How are they going to make their car payment? 
for their 4 by 4 truck, right, or, or whatever, uh, as if they're the victim, right? Uh, foolishness makes life harder. Uh, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel in Deuteronomy, he said things like, if you follow these, these will help you from devolving into slavery. And he didn't just mean from other countries. Like, like we talked about the Fourth Commandment. And, and the way that this would lead to the Jubilee and forgiving debts and things like this. It says, this will keep you from enslaving one another. And you'll, you'll be a better society. He wasn't saying, like, you earn it. He's just, there's a blessing in doing the right thing. Um, that shouldn't surprise us because they reflect who God is. They're, life is more pleasant when we walk in accord with God's truth. Life is more pleasant, marriage is more pleasant, families are more pleasant, and so on. What were you going to say, Rex? I just read this a few days ago about Dr. Morning Thoughts. Yeah. And he said that God has inserted the Ten Commandments into culture. Yeah. Yeah. My life, the, the more I rebel, the more miserable my life is, period. Now, what we're not saying is if you obey God's commandments, you should expect to become wealthy. You're going to get the promotion above your coworkers because you're more holy or things like that, that God somehow rewards that. What we're just saying is, what I'm, what I'm trying to just say is, uh, rebellion brings misery. Uh, internally, outternally. Uh, <laughs> There's a new word for y'all. <laughs> yeah, just like it sounds. Uh, uh, <laughs> And I haven't even started to preach yet. Uh, God's not somehow obligated to bless us. And sometimes, as we're going to see in Jeremiah 11 and 12, it's precisely because we obey God that life gets harder. It does. Um, that's, that's the reality Jeremiah is wrestling with in our passage in a few minutes. There's a peace and a beauty. Um, let me put it this way. The Ten Commandments are a blessing themselves. They're a gift to us. Um, they're wisdom. They're truth. They're a reflection of who our God is. Life will only be sweeter when we embrace them. In some ways, it might become harder, and that's okay. But it will be sweeter Life will always be more bitter the farther we push God from us. And that's what I mean, they're, they're a blessing. And so I want to be really careful. I'm not talking about works righteousness. I'm not talking about obligating God to bless us. I'm not talking about earning something. I'm just talking about the beauty of walking in the truth is a blessing itself. Um, and that's one of the reasons God gave them to us is because he loves us. Um. Embracing truth is always better than not, if I could put it that way. Um, yeah, Charlie. Beautiful example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Parents don't, good. Parents don't give their children rules to earn their love or something like that. Right. They give 
children rules and boundaries because they love their children and life is better within those boundaries. That's right. Perfect example. Great. Brian. That you just happened to bring along today? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Who is that? It sounds like C.S. Lewis or somebody. Who is it? Is it? Okay. It's a great quote. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a beauty in that, and I think he's right. I mean, it's, um, it's the burden is, is running from our Heavenly Father, not to him. Amen. I think that's a great place to, to, to um, end. All right. Our gracious God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the study of the Ten Commandments uh, through the Heidelberg Catechism. And we thank you for the blessings that you have given us in Christ. Father, we ask that you would um, write these truths not just on our minds but on our hearts so that we might know the blessing of walking in a life of gratitude and obedience, seeing that uh, uh, small growth grow over time until that day that Christ comes to call us home and makes us perfect. Until then, we pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.